Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we've been in a, I want to say, series in a sense we have been. We've just kind of been in a flow of, of a kind of our theme for the year, which is hope and freedom. And uh, man, we just, we, I feel, I don't know about you guys, has anybody been feeling a greater levels of joy and peace or hope and freedom in your life? If you do, just raise your hand. I know I've been experiencing, praise God, I don't want to be the only one, amen? And I know that more is coming. And, and, and uh, it's just like, you know, with that, thinking about the Lord giving that to me about hope and freedom and just, and just so many things as believers that we say we hope in, but we, we haven't really hoped in because we're not in faith in it anymore. We say we hope, we, we believe God will do this, but we're, it's more like, well, I believe God can do it, but I don't really believe that he's going to do it for me. And somewhere along the line, we've, we've settled for the, the worldly way of hoping which is kind of a wishing and a praying. Oh, you know, but it's like, it's like uh, you know, I want it to, but I really don't believe it's going to. No, we're getting back into biblical hope, which is an, it's, it's, it's an activated expectation that God is going to do something because he does things according to his word. Do you agree with that? Well, you gotta agree with it if you wanna get it. Amen? This is what we do. We gotta believe it. And, and to get into the Bible hope and out of the world hope, you have to challenge those things. Whenever, whenever things come against you and you feel like you just, I don't know if I really believe in this or not, you just go back and just believe God's word at face value just because he said it. And be reassured in yourself, number one, that God's word is true. His word is true. His word is the, it's, it's the final word for me. I don't know about for you, but his word is the final word for me. Whether I understand some things or not, if he says to do this, I'm going to do it. Revelation will come as I'm stepping out in faith. Are you with me? It's, it's funny, as believers, how, you know, we want God to do things, but we don't want to have to believe for it. I mean, it just, it's, it's kind of weird that we, we're believers, so we believe, right? And that's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. And man, God has got so much hope, more hope for us, because there's no hopelessness in Christ. There is overabundance of hope. And when we get a hold of hope, we're going to find freedom because hope leads to freedom. Hope is that expectation that God is moving. He's doing something. What's he bringing to us? He's bringing us into the full freedom that Christ died for and resurrected again so that we could live in that new nature that he provided for us. That's some good shouting right there. Someone can just say, hey, ho, whatever you got to do. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we've been going over these verses, and I want to I look at them together again. Um, they should be up there, I think, Lauren, Romans uh, 15, 13. Is that slide in there? There it is. I can't see on that small one. So we've been doing this. want to memorize these and get these in you. And uh, so let's say this together. Ready? Here we go. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and hope. That's my, my bad. I messed that up, guys. Let's try it again. Ready? Here we go. Now may the God of hope... Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whoo. Man, and if, you're, if you are experiencing more hope and more joy and more peace, then that tells me that you're exercising your faith and you're believing more and you're receiving more. And some of that of receiving is more of that joy and more of that peace and more of that hope that he's bringing about you. The next one, um, John 8 believe it is. Here we go. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's going to make you free. 
We want to know the truth. It's not just a head knowledge of the truth. It's an, it's an experiential knowledge where we experience the truth. I want to experience the truth, don't you? Because when you experience the truth, this is the difference between when Jesus taught and when the Pharisees taught. Remember what they said? Well, we don't know what they said about the Pharisees, but we do know what they said about Jesus. Well, they did say, I guess it's in there too, where they said, what kind of authority is this, you know, that he has? He don't teach like the Pharisees. There was an authority to it. Why? Because Jesus was the truth. He didn't just speak about knowledge of something. He was the knowledge of something. When we experience the truth, we're not just having a head knowledge of it. We've actually experienced the fact that God is our peace and he is our joy. And it's not based on circumstances. It's based on the person of who he is. Are you with me? And then the last one, this is the one we'll take off with today. Galatians 5.1. Here we go. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Let's say it one more time. Let's say it a little more boisterous. Ready? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Jesus wants us free. He wants us free. He is for you. <laughs> he is for your freedom. He did everything that he's ever going to do for you to walk in the fullness of freedom that he provided for you. But we have to become aware of that freedom. And we've got to fight for that freedom. Everything in this world is going to come against you and, and try to keep you out. The enemy's going to do it. This world culture is going to do it. Sometimes your own family members will do it. Everything just seems to be stacked against you to not believe the truth of God and who he is and what he's done. But whenever you challenge that back, and I don't need to necessarily challenge a person. If someone wants to have a reprobate mind, that means they're void of judgment, and they're just on their, they're just, you know, totally adamant against God. I don't have to fight against them because they're not the enemy. There is only one enemy, it's Satan. But I don't have to let what they think about God determine how I'm going to think about God. I choose my belief system according to his word. I go back to the word. I want to make sure when I'm praying, I'm praying in line with the word because the Bible says if we pray his word, then we, you know, that's where we find his will. If you pray his will, you know he hears you. And if you know he hears you, you know you have what it is you, he, or you asked of him. That should make some people happy right there. Just that scripture alone in 1 John 5, uh, 13 and 14. This is, you know, it's God's will for you. If you know his will and you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you have, you have, you have what you asked of him. Now there's, there's some of that where you've got to exercise your faith on the have. <laughs> He's already willing to provide it for you. But you have to come to a place where you believe that you have what he already provided for you. This is where joy and gratitude comes in. You just, you don't need to ask him again. Oh, God, did you hear me? Well, the scripture just said, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So I don't need to go to him and say, did you hear what I said, Lord? I mean, I don't feel like you heard me. No, if it's in his word and in line with his character, I can ask and I know already whether I feel it or not. We, we, and this was big for me, guys. This was really big for me. I'm a feeler. I like to feel things, you know. I, like, I want to feel like taking out the trash. Come on, right? I don't feel like it. 
And it's very hard if we're going to live a life as a believer and trying to feel everything. Now, not everybody's a feeler. Some people are thinkers. Well, it's still the same thing because people who are thinkers will try to stay in the realm of reason and not in the realm of faith. And it's both wrong. Being in the realm of feeling, I got to feel it first or it needs to make sense first before I do anything. No, it just, it's just trust and obedience to the word of God. And I can't trust for you and I can't obey for you, but I can cheer you on just like I expect you guys to cheer us on. Amen? We're here together. So praise the Lord. Man, there's a lot getting done in such a short, short amount of time. That's how God does it. He just crams it in. We're going to go out like, God, that was, that was good. I'm so full. <laughs> praise the Lord. So we've been really in, in, in our theme of, of hope and freedom. We've been really hitting this vein right now of, of seeing things really from God's perspective. This is what we're trying to do. It's been challenging me, I, 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 and I'm, I'm, so, I mean, I'm just so excited what God is doing in my own life. And, uh, you know, I know more people are seeing things, you know, and, it's, and that's when you know you're really growing. Other people begin to say, hey, what's going on with you? You know, what is happening? Jesus, right? There's always more of him to get into. And we have to challenge our belief system. We have to challenge our thoughts because we have been thinking for so long as believers on a lower grade than what Christ has done for us. Remember, we talked about it several times. I won't go in detail, but when God says in Isaiah, he says, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. My ways and my thoughts are higher than your ways. He wasn't saying you're down here and I'm up here and, and you know that's just the way it is. It was an invitation. I'm giving you an invitation. The way that you naturally think is lower than my thoughts and the way I see things. I want to show you things, but you've got to come to my perspective. You've got to allow your view of things to be challenged and begin to see it the way God sees it. That's when we know that we're walking in the new nature that Christ has died and rose again for. Are you with me? I need you to cheer me on a little bit. I need to know you're just kind of just out there, you know? Come on, praise the Lord. So... The title of the message today, just you know, briefly here, we'll get however the Holy Ghost wants to go, but um, is eyes on the prize. We've got to keep our eyes on the prize. And I want to use this scripture because um, I think it's, it's a fallacy for us to believe that we're not going to go through difficulties in life. And I know a lot of times we, it's, it's a sense that we already know that, you know, you know hard things are going to come uh, and, and bad things are going to happen, things we don't even understand. Um, but I think that especially as believers, if we live with this Disney mentality that everything is just going to work out, you know, in a sense like everything's going to be hunky-dory, you know, I mean, uh, people are always going to send cash in the mail and, you know, and you're never going to have any hardships in life. Well, that's just a fallacy because if we think that way, we're never going to grow because it takes adversity to challenge our faith so that our faith can grow. So I believe we're at a place right now specifically as a body, but it's more specifically as uh, individual sons and daughters of God, where God is challenging us and, and, and allowing certain things to come into our, our, our path, so to say, in order to be, for us to be able to believe and see things the way that he sees it. And he's so creative. Whatever has happened in your life, whatever uh, atrocity, whatever trauma, whatever horrid thing has happened in your life, God can turn it around for good. He's not limited by your situations. He's not limited by the hard things and the bad things and the detestable things at times that has happened in your life. 
He can make everything good. Do you believe that though? Because you have to believe that. Come on now. So I want to read this scripture. This is, uh, we're going to kind of like be in the Old Testament a little bit today. I want to go a story about keeping the eyes on the prize. But uh, this is, we're going to hit part of the story, then kind of backtrack and just like they do in movies. They give you the stuff at the end, then you kind of go back and you build it up. You're like, oh, okay. At least that's what I'm thinking. Anyhow, we'll see what happens. Uh, So Moses has died. Joshua is the one that's in charge now. God put in charge to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. They're going into the promised land. They're taking over the promised land. Ah, battles. Plunder, right? They're getting everything that God has told them to get. Now, God on purpose didn't let Joshua defeat all the enemies in the land of Canaan. On purpose. You can see it in the scripture for yourself. We're not gonna go to that verse specifically, but he did it on purpose. Now, look at this. This is in Judges 3, 3, 1, 2, and verse 4. These are the nations that God left, and it, talk, it kind of named those nations. We'll get into it. These are the nations that God left in the land to test those Israelites who had never experienced the wars of Canaan. He left it there to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. The people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. God, you know, and this is, this is the main thing that really changed in my life over this last year. Is last summer, I was reading a book called Fathered by God. And in that book, it, you heard me, I think I might have alluded to it a little bit here and there throughout this last year, but there was a place in there where he talked about um, uh, becoming a warrior. And it's, this book is all about, you know, becoming a man in God and just, you know, kind of those rites of passage things that, that men, you know, some, a lot of men aren't experiencing these days. And he talked about becoming that warriors, learning how to fight, you know, and fighting the right battles. I mean, the Bible does say fight the good fight of faith. And if you're not in faith, it's not a good fight, right? You fight the good fight of faith. Well, in this place, uh, you know, I was, start, I was beginning to see adversities and things that was coming my way as just like, come on, why is this always happening to me? Really? Again? You know? And I, I was missing it for I don't know how many years, missing it, that God was placing me in a battle because he believed in me, just like he'll place you in a battle and you think he, someone's picking on you. He'll put you in adverse situations where it seems that there's possibly no way that you can get out on your own. And the truth is you can't. It's where he wants to prove to you who he is for you in the heat of the moment. Because God is not just God whenever we feel his presence and everything is going well. God is still God when everything is so hard against you and you can't feel his presence, but you still function in the promises of his word. Come on. Which will lead you back to his presence. Maybe not at that very moment. But he's going to lead you back. And he was testing them. So here we are kind of going back. Moses has just taken the children of Israel out of Egypt, right, by a mighty right hand of God. We know I'm not going to go all the acts that he did. You can find out for yourself. Read the book of of, um, Exodus. It'll do you good. And uh, he's bringing them into uh, getting ready to bring him into the promised land. Now, they've been through the desert. You know, they had already gotten you know, the, the commands of God on, with the finger of God on the mountain, all those things gone forth, and God led them here, and now he's at a place where God is about to take them into the promised land. 
So I'm going to read a little bit here. This won't be on the screen. I didn't have this on the screen. but um, So the Bible says here, uh, this is in Numbers if you're taking notes, Numbers 13. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So there's going to be 12 leaders from Israel. And then verse number 17. So Moses gave the, gave the men these instructions as they, as, they were sent, as they sent them out to explore the land. He said, go north through the Negev. Really, the Negev means south. So you're going to start at the south, but you're going to go north through the south into the hill country. See what, kind of, see what the land is like and find out whether the people there are strong or weak. They're few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like camps? Is the soil fertile or is it poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops that you see. And it's just amazing he said that, but then there's a little notation in there that says that it happened to be the season of harvesting the first ripe grapes. <laughs> so he's wanting them to bring, hey, bring, bring, back these, bring back some stuff, you know, that's there. Let us, let us see what it's like. So here's the kind of the question. It's like God telling the Israelites here, he's testing them. He's saying, here's my promise. You're about to go in and check it out. Here's my promise. What do you think about it? I want to know what you think about my promise. I want to let you go in. I want you to check things out. And I want to hear what, how you feel about my promise. You know, everybody's a little bit different. You know, our kids, when they were younger, Silas is still that way, but our kids, when they were younger, you know, Kayla's like an a, a excellent gift receiver. I mean, when you give her a gift, she's like, oh my gosh, I love this, you know, and whatever. She's always there. And Silas, you know, you know, especially at Christmas time, he's like, it's what I always wanted, you know, just, and that's the way God wants us to be. You don't want to like give a gift to somebody and they're like, Wants to be excited. I mean, one of the gifts we got, this was several years ago, and it was funny because, you know, we spent money on these different things for Christmas for Silas, thinking, like, these are going to be the big prize. You know what his best gift year that year for Christmas was? A $1 uh, thing. Uh, it was like a uh, um, hubba bubba gum or something like that that was in a tape form. It looked like a, looked like a measuring tape, and you pulled it out. He's like, it's my favorite gift. I always wanted it. It's like, wow, he could be spending a lot less money. I'll get you a whole roll of those things. <laughs> But God wants us to be excited about his promises. But I think that our, our problem is we want the promise, but we don't want to have to walk through the faith it takes in order to be able to receive that promise. Well, God, thank you for the promise. Why don't you just do it all? Why do, if, you're really, if it's a really good gift, then you would drive these people out for us. And the Bible says he, he did drive them out, but God wants to work with you. God didn't choose you as a servant. He chose you to be his partner. Look through the New Testament. Look through the New Testament. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be there. He wants a partnership with you. So here's the promise. What do you think? So then the, the, the spies went out. They begin to come back. And this is what happens. This will be on the screen. Numbers 13, 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, which is a, day, it's a time of testing, 40 is a time of testing in Scripture. 
After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned, and this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's just like God said. It's just like God said. And here is the kind of fruit that it produces. Now, they said it took two guys to bring back the, the grape clusters that were there. And I, I couldn't find a, a picture that would actually fit on this screen. But they actually seem, if you, if you would like, you know, Google that scripture and, and the grape clusters, they show they're still out there. It take two, they're huge. Now, it's not like the, you know, the one grape is this way, but it's really a cluster. It's huge. It was as tall. There would be people standing there, and this cluster of grapes was as tall as a man, like six foot tall. Why? And just, just carrying it back. They're like, hey, this is it. It was exactly like it was told us. Look at verse number 28. But, this is where we, we don't lead with our butts. God put them on the bottom for a reason. Okay? But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hivites and Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let us go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But... The other men who explored the land with him disagreed. And I want to point out, they weren't just disagreeing with Caleb. They were disagreeing with God. We can't go up against them. That was true even of Caleb in his own strength. We can't do this. But Caleb didn't have his hope in his own strength said, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we are traveling through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. Now they're just like, you get to that place where you start believing a lie that you just start expounding. Anyone who goes in is going to get devoured. All the people we saw were huge. Even the babies, oh my gosh, they were like, you know, all the people. We even saw giants there, the sons of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. That could be a true statement. And that's what they thought too. Well, they didn't even encounter these people. They thought it too. Well, did you talk to one of them? No. <laughs> this is how we saw. Let me ask you a question. What are you believing about God's promises to you? What are you believing about God's promises to you? Number two. What kind of report about God's promises are you spreading to those around you? What kind of a report of God's promises or about God's promises are you spreading to those who are around you? The truth is, you will always see what you're looking at. You'll always see what you're looking at. You know, there's a, there's a Psalms in Psalms 18 25, it talks about, you know, goes down through, and it, speaking of God, it says, you know, to the merciful, you show yourself merciful. You know, to the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. To the crooked, 
you show yourself twisted. You show yourself as a wrestler against them, an obstacle. How do we view God? How do we view him? Is he on your side or not? And I know we have sin habits, but if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have a sin nature anymore. We have old sin habits that God will deal with, and he deals with them not by pointing at him and saying, work on your old man. He deals with them by saying, I already dealt with this. Look at the new nature I've given you. Start practicing that. And then those old habits get displaced by practicing the new nature that Christ has already made for us. Are you with me? You always get what you're looking at. So here we are in this storyline that uh, the people begin to grumble. They begin to grumble. The, the whole, the whole a camp, and this is like three million people, they begin to wail and really just kind of throw a fit. I mean, can you imagine a camp of three million people wailing? Oh, and then, and then they start complaining. Oh, because they're looking at the wrong thing. Oh, why did you bring us out of Egypt, God? It would be better. Was there no graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to kill us? Why did you do all these things and bring us here, Lord? Let's go back. They wanted to go back. And the Bible says that Joshua and Caleb, you read that story, Joshua and Caleb stood up and they tried to quiet the people again and the people didn't want anything to do with it. They began to get ready to stone them. They said, let's kill them. Find another leader and let's go back to Egypt. Well, guess what happened? The glory of God showed up. Boom. And everybody shut up. <laughs> glory of God came over the tent of meeting and Moses he called Moses in and, and God you know the Bible says that God was just frustrated he's like you know I've done I'm done uh, these 10 times they've tested me uh, just get out of the way let me just wipe them all out and I'll start a new nation with you Moses and I don't really believe God wanted to necessarily wipe them all out I believe God is always looking for someone who will stand in the gap you can see that in principles and prayer you see that with Ezekiel uh, different things. And Moses did. He said, God, don't. Don't wipe them out. I mean, look, look, look what all you did. Think about your own name. And, you know, it's going to be like you did all these mighty acts, but you weren't strong enough to bring him into the promised land? Don't do this, God. And God saw Moses crying out and interceding on their behalf. And I tell you what, it takes, it takes intercession and it takes an encounter with God whenever you are dealing with such adverse things, especially you know, problems that are in other people's lives. If you keep on looking at the problems, you're going to be succumb just like they are. But if you look at the promise, you'll find that joy and that peace and believing so that you can continue to hope. And it may not change their outlook on things, but it sure will change your outlook and it will keep you in an abiding with God. So the Bible says that God pardoned them, but he also rebuked them. Numbers 14, this will be on the screen. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely, all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it but my servant Caleb. We know Joshua was in there too, but my servant Caleb because he had a different spirit and followed me. He has followed me fully. Him I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants 
shall take possession of it. Now we know out of that whole generation, all those people from 20 and up, from 20 years old and up, 40 years walking in the desert, everyone 20 years and old had to die before they could go into the promised land. I don't even know what that feels like to be the ones that were agreeing with God but had to wait because of other people's decision for 40 years to walk into a promise. But look at this. God himself said that Caleb had a different spirit. In another place, he talks about Joshua the same thing. Here's what a different spirit means. He thinks differently. His perspective is not down here. He's looking to see what I see. He thinks differently. Another definition of this phrase in the Hebrew, he has a different attitude. His outlook is totally different. He don't see, you know, they're going in, what the other men saw, he saw that too, but he didn't see it as, as that they were going to be defeated. He saw it that God was going to work with me and we're going to get things done. This belongs to us. God promised it. So God, by, when God promises you something, he binds himself to accomplishing it through you. When he promises you something, he don't say, here's the keys, go ahead, whatever. No, he says, we're going to do this together. I promise you I will get you through this. I'm going, to, I'm going to be there with you. I become your number one source to help you get the promise. I like this one. A different spirit. He has another spirit with him. Well, who would that be? That would be the Holy Spirit. He has another spirit with him. And then he went on to say, he follows me wholly, meaning he remained loyal. He's wholehearted. He is fully after me. Are you really fully after God? That's a big question. And it's, it's, a, it's an answer that may take a glass of water to swallow. Are you really fully in for God? Because in the times that we're in right now, in the times that we're going into, the only way to make it is to be all in. You can't make it half in. If you make it half in, you will fall to the half that's not in to God. You gotta be all in. Let him, let him lead you in this. He, and he's not asking you to be all in. It's all your works. He's asking you to be all in him to let him be who he can be in you. All right, let me wrap it up. So there's a huge, huge advantage to seeing things from God's perspective. Maybe you ever hear that? Um, there's an old saying, and Toby Mac used it in one of, if you're a Toby Mac listener, I like Toby Mac, you know, get it down into it. He's got some cool stuff. Anyhow, um, there's a saying that he used in one of his songs, but it's a saying that's been around a long time. It says, I can hold your head, but I can't turn your eyes to freedom. I can hold you, you know, you can actually take someone's head and point them towards freedom, but if they want to, if they want their eyes to go somewhere else, it's your choice. You have to look at freedom. You have to look at God's promises that they belong to you. So here's the advantages. I'm gonna give you four advantages to seeing things from God's perspective. Number one, you see victory when others only see defeat. Caleb and Joshua saw the same giants. They saw the same fortified cities. They saw everything that everybody else did. Everybody saw defeat and they saw victory. We can do this. Number two, 
to seeing God's perspective. It keeps your heart connected to God's heart and cultivates courageous faith. If you keep your heart connected to God's heart, it will cultivate courageous faith. Let's go in by all means. I don't care who's there. God promised this. We're going to do this. It's in the act of obedience to God that courageous faith begins to rise up. Are you with me? Number three, it expands your blessing to impact generations to come. Not just you. Look what God said. Not only will Caleb go in, but him and his descendants. This will be their land. So you begin, and when you see things from God's perspective, just like God was doing this morning with that song, you know, going in, that we, we need to see, stop just seeing our lives or just our kids. Sit down, think about it. What about our kids' kids, our grandkids? What about our great-grandkids? We have an opportunity right now to impart faith into our family line that could last for generations. Paul said it of Timothy, I knew your mother Eunice and your, uh, your grandmother, I forget, who is it? Lois, Lois. grandmother Lois and your, and your mother Eunice, and I see the same faith in you. It's getting passed down. Last one, advantage to seeing things from God's perspective. It upgrades the strength needed to endure the space between the promise. I want to say that again. It upgrades the strength that's needed to endure the space between the promise. That is, whenever God gives the promise and until the promise is fulfilled. Here we got Caleb and Joshua. You know, they had to stay in faith with God for those 40 years. I can't imagine the kind of bitterness that they probably were facing as they're going around. You can only imagine, you, I'm stuck here because of you. (laughs) die, you know. (laughs) Who knows what they had to deal with? 40 years. But they kept the right spirit. It's not just they had the right spirit. They kept the right spirit. Look at this. God always keeps his promises. This is in Joshua. We see them going in now, the next generation that had to pass first, and their children. Even even God says, like you said that your children were going to be plundered, and your wives, well, the children that you said were going to be plundered by going in, they're going to be the ones that are going to go in and receive what you said you couldn't have that I, I was wanting to give to you. And the children went in. But look at this, Joshua 14. I was 40 years old, this is Caleb speaking, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barna to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord, my God, fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness and now I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me out. And my strength was as my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke to me on that day. And in Judges, it gives a little more kind of that story. It fills out the story. It says, they gave Hebron to Caleb, and as Moses had promised, and he drove out from there the three sons of Anak. He went after the giants. 
It's like, we saw giants, the sons of Anak. Caleb's like, we're going in. And I know God's still with me. And 45 years later, 85 years old, I'm going to kick me some giant butt. <laughs> and he did. Because it wasn't his strength. This is why you can have people like Chuck and Dorothy. And 95 years old, 92 or 93 years old for Dorothy. And still you see them. Why are they so fiery? Because they have a different spirit. It keeps you young and youthful, as the scripture says, as the promise says, you know, as we're, as we're trusting in him, that, you know, your, your bodies may get old, but they'll be renewed like the strength of an eagle. But they're still fiery and ready to take battle. And he likes to just to kick the devil in the butt. He's like, take that, devil. Come on. We've got to have this different spirit. But we've got to give up our own agenda. We've got it. We've, it takes humility. We've got to lay down pride. We've got to lay down our control of the situation because God will always be dealing with and, and, you know, those, that control that we try to have. And we've proved it already in our lives that our control is not a good control. We don't do well when we're in control. We do much better when we give that over to him. Whether we understand it or don't understand it. Are you with me? God wants us to be giant killers. Maybe some of you are wanting to feel it before you believe it. I understand that. We just, God, I just want to feel it before I believe it. But that's not kingdom. It's not kingdom. God is waiting for you to respond to his word by stepping out in trust and obedience. We have to trust him. I trust you, God. I trust you.